Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Praise you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. If Jesus Christ is your living hope here this morning, why don't you begin to thank him? Begin to thank him for the chains that he's broken over your life. Begin to thank him that he set you free that he's moved you from the kingdom of death into his own kingdom, the beloved son of the Father. Give him thanks for everything he's done for you. Jesus is our living hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you. church as we've been doing at the beginning of our gathering to to sing songs of the resurrection that's an interesting thing to do isn't it because here we are we're, we're, we're in Lent this time of preparation and we know that we'll come to Maundy Thursday and we'll consider how Jesus served and and, and we'll consider how he shared a supper that is so full of meaning for us we'll come to Good Friday and we'll consider his death and all that he has given that we might be made whole. And then it is that we'll come through Easter Saturday, those times of waiting and wondering to Easter Sunday, and we will know, we will know, and we will be reminded even as we already know that Jesus is alive, and that all those that place their trust are alive in him, alive now, alive in all of its fullness, and alive forevermore. That In fact, there is no other way to know life now and forever except through the life of Jesus. And all that is, in a sense, to come. And yet today we know that Jesus is alive. Amen. And that we are alive in him. And I thought it would be good, and, and we're going to be led in song in a moment, to perhaps come around the table right now. And this table is a table of bread and of a cup. 
and it speaks to us. The bread speaks of the body of Jesus, which was broken for us upon that cruel cross. And the cup speaks to us of the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins to be washed away, that his life might be our life, that our death taken upon him might be done for once and for all, and now his life can be our life. In John chapter 6, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I know there's many of us, most of us here today, and we've known that to be true. Nothing satisfied, nothing filled the hungers of our souls, nothing uh, slaked our thirst, and then we found Jesus. And then we found Jesus. And he is our satisfaction. He is our hope. Our hearts were restless, but they found their rest in him. Isn't that true? And Jesus went on to say, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Or in the old rendering, I will in no wise cast out. There's no circumstance there's no moment of your past, present, or future that if you are coming to Christ in sincerity, that he will cast you out. He will never do that. He welcomes his own into his loving arms of grace. And this is how we are coming to the table today. All that the Father gives to me, Jesus says, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine. God the Father has done everything that is necessary. He even gave up his own beloved son so that you might come to Jesus. And he will in no wise cast you out. As we come around this table, those of us who love Jesus, who treasure this, we can take this opportunity to examine ourselves before God. And Maybe you might want to close your eyes, bow your head and say, God, would you search me and try me? I love you. I love what you've done for me. Lord Jesus Christ, make it such that I am right with you and indeed make it so that I'm more like you day by day by day. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christians, talk with your father. Would you do that right now? Talk with him. Present yourself to him afresh. I will in no wise cast out, he says. I will never cast out that verse it was a great favorite of the of the Puritan John Bunyan and he imagined how it would be that we would hear those words and yet we'd come up with all sorts of excuses and reasons why it doesn't apply to us why we can't come why Jesus will reject us and he said none of them none of them this is how he phrased it he said but I am a great sinner say you I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. 
but I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. And Bunyan adds, this promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. Jesus says to all of us today, I will in no wise cast out. And so the invitation goes out as we come again to worship. The Father has given you to his beloved Son. That's how precious you are. That's how precious you are. The scriptures teach us that for the joy set before him, our Christ endured the cross and scorned its shame. This is how precious you are. The Father giving this joy to the Son. You, you made glad in him, welcomed into his loving arms. Jesus says to you, I will in no wise cast out. So as we worship, if you are in the arms of Jesus, come, take a cup, take it, eat, drink, and praise God that in no wise does he cast you out. Rather, he welcomes you and he makes you new and he makes you new and he makes you new and he's healing you and making you whole and he's going to present you to his father as the most precious thing in all creation so come and take the cup one more thing if you know today this morning you're not in the loving arms of the father through the work of Christ Jesus then don't delay don't delay and don't go away in that state there is no love and no life except for Christ Jesus. Life now is not what it ought to be and it will not continue. The Bible teaches us very clearly that sin leads to death, but Christ's salvation leads to everlasting life. And if you need to know the life of Jesus, then when everyone is coming to this table, please come to me at the side of the table and I will pray with you that you can receive the life that is found in Jesus and in no one, in no one else. Let's come to him together. Amen. Thank you. We thank you, you who are the author of life, that you were willing to come and taste death so that we might have life, to turn graves into gardens, to turn the dry bones of an existence that was stripped of all meaning and purpose, to turn such things into an army of the greatest purpose, clothed beautifully with the fullness of life, filled with your spirit, moved by love, compelled by your love. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taken us from death to life. And you have done so by giving even your own precious life. Jesus, we praise you. No one else could take up their life from the grave but you. Each and every one of us was destined to an eternity in the grave, to an eternity of death and damnation. Lord Jesus, not a one of us could have lifted our lives out from death. But you, Christ Jesus, broke the power of death and of sin and of hell. It has no sting. It has no power anymore for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord Jesus, not only have you lifted your own self out of the grave, but Christ Jesus, you have reached into the filth of our existence and you have lifted us from the grave. Lord Jesus, we are not destined for death anymore. Though our bodies will waste away, Lord Jesus, we will rise again. 
we will rise again having bodies like unto your glorious body and we will live eternally gazing upon the beauty of our Savior and your life will be our life forevermore and Lord Jesus it will be free and full and nothing will be as perceived through a glass dimly it will be in all of its brilliance and there will be no more need even for the sun in the sky for Jesus you shall be the light of our days and Jesus, we shall feel the warmth of your gaze shining upon us. And God will be made glad forevermore. Lord Jesus, I thank you that even now in this place at this time, you are making us glad. Jesus, I pray that you place a smiles on our faces, God. And, and God, you would strangely warm our hearts. Fill us with your spirit as we gather around these scriptures, God. And I pray, God, that today, today, we would come alive in you, Lord Jesus. Quicken our spirits, even today, Lord Jesus. Move upon us in fresh and new ways, even today, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray that death and decay would be laid behind even more today. And God, today would be a day when we step into more of your life. Jesus Christ, bring your people alive. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. You're, you're more than welcome to grab a seat here in the building. If you're at home joining us, grab a seat. Have an extra cup of coffee for us. Um, and uh, those uh, in Oasis as well joining us, you're really, really welcome as we come together around the Word of God together. Just before we do that, um, just to run through a few things in the life of the church so everyone's up to speed with what's what. Um, if, you're, if you're online, do check out the notes. They're all there. Um, and whether you're online or in the building, do fill in a connection card. If you're new to us or you've not yet done that, you can scan the code on the seat in front of you. Um, there's two there. One's for our online notice board. One's for our connection card. Do let us know a little bit about you, as much or as little as you'd like, but so we can keep you in the loop and extend to you our, our welcome. We're incredibly glad that you're here. Um, just to say on that online notice board, we now have, as we're going through our sermon series at the moment, an online resource bank. So I'm going to come to it in a bit. Um, and it's, uh, we're talking about money, sex, and power over uh, a number of weeks. What we're wanting to do is really resource you really well um, to understand these things, to know God's grace and his helps in these things, and maybe to be able to speak a better word into our world, but also resources for families as well. It's all there mentioning families this Friday evening at the same time as our incredible Gateway Youth Program. And it is incredible. It's absolutely fantastic. I hope your young people engage with that. Um, at the same time this Friday evening, um, there's going to be a Gateway Parents Evening. Um, don't worry, if there are teenagers still in the room, don't worry, it's not, you're not getting a report card. Don't worry, it's not that kind of parents' evening. Um, but what we want to do is we want to have a really hope, hopefully helpful and open conversation about some of the stuff we're talking about at the moment, particularly about sex and sex and relationships, sexuality, gender. What does the Bible say? What does it mean for us? How can we have good conversations with our kids that are healthy and helpful? How can we um, have families that are open, safe environments that, that bless our kids in a world that is, uh, well, very often very confusing and, and, and oftentimes can be really destructive? Um, so that's this Friday evening, and I do hope every parent 
parents of children as well as parents of teens. Um, if you're able to be there, um, be there. It'd be really, really great. If you're able to send in questions in advance, that'd be fantastic too. So that's this Friday. And um, just two last things before the Bible class go out. Um, on the first Saturday in April, the 2nd um, of April, um, Messy Church is having an Easter special um, that day, and it's going to be a massive Easter egg hunt that is going to be throughout our building here. It's a big building, so I think that means lots of Easter eggs. Um, and so what we're saying is if you've got a young children in your family, um, and by young, I just mean any kind of primary age kids, really, um, then bring them along. Bring along other families. They're going to hunt through the Easter the story, get loads and loads of eggs, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And then on that Sunday, the Sunday the 3rd of April, we're going to be doing some wonderful stuff in the morning that we'll let you know more about, but then we're going to have a welcome lunch that Sunday afternoon. So if you're new to the church, um, relatively, or you've not yet attended a welcome lunch before, then you'll be getting an invitation, but consider this your save the date. Um, and if you're online, um, then if you're willing, maybe come into the building that day and we'd love to feed you. And and, uh, and get to know you a little bit. Right, brilliant. Uh, Bible class, if you're aged 11 to 14 in years 7 to 9 in school, then scoot, skedaddle, and be gone. Um, go and have some fun um, before um, we crack on here. Um, no, really, you can go. Um, are, th are there any? Are there, maybe, maybe not. not. Yeah, there are a few. Okay. Um, head on out. That's, that's wonderful. Libby and Onyinye are going to be kind of going through some fantastic stuff with you this morning. Um, we are this morning, as I've said, we're going through kind of three series back to back, money, sex and power. And each time we look at one of these topics, um, we're considering it in, in, in kind of three ways. The first is, what is it really? What does the Bible say the thing is? What is money? What is sex? What is power? The second um, one, and that's where we are today, is considering how in our world are these things misused and abused? And then because of that, how then do they misuse and abuse us oftentimes? And then the third one is coming to a really a, a better vision. Um, what does God say is the promise and potential um, for these things? So we're kind of right in the middle um, today, part two of, of thinking about sex. So it's misuses and abuses. And of course, we're doing this partly because Pastor Greg stole the title from a really good book by Richard Foster um, that I've been recommending to you all, um, but also because it is incredibly important that Christians are able to think Christianly about these things and to speak and act Christianly about these things. I think for far uh, too long, uh, the perception, if not the reality, of the Christian church has been that largely we sweep such matters under the carpet because we're neat, tidy, and polite, and we like to put on our big Christian faces when we come to church, smile at one another, say, everything's fine and dandy, and then run away before anyone asks any difficult questions. Um, now, I know that perhaps our culture here is not, is not quite like that, thanks be to God, um, but it can go that way. And even if that isn't the reality, that's the perception in the wider world that really the Christians only speak about money when they want it, about sex when they're telling people off for it, and about power when they're pretending that they haven't had it for like a millennia and now we you know, want it back. Um, it's not a great way to speak into the world. It doesn't help us to live as full human beings made in the image of God. And it doesn't help us to speak a better world, word into our world. We need to do better. 
And this is our second week considering how to think, speak, and act Christianly about sex. It's a good thing that we should. We mentioned this last time, but Dallas Willard once wrote, We dishonor God as much by fearing and avoiding pleasure as we do by dependence upon it or living for it. And some of you are saying, well, I don't, I don't fear or avoid pleasure. I just fear or avoid talking about it, Pastor Greg. So what are you doing? Uh, leave us alone. Um, but this can really be the Christian way. We kind of think that it's somehow more spiritual to deny the fact that God made humanity as sexual beings. And it's actually a normal part of what it is to be human. And last time out, we kind of considered that, 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 that sex, although I, I started out by saying sex doesn't exist, and that got your attention, um, we discovered actually that it is part of God's good design um, within marriage. And so we ought not to dishonor God by fear or avoiding the subject, but rather we ought to acknowledge that that sex has a rightful place and it ought to be there. And we considered the biblical wisdom that sex doesn't exist on its own, but only in the lifelong committed union of a man and a woman in marriage is sex really sex, according to God. Anything else is actually a counterfeit. Similar in some ways, perhaps, but, but not nearly God's good and gracious provision. Oftentimes, in fact, in fact, always outside of that remit, it's a distortion and full of trouble. And we discovered, we discovered a little bit of our culture last time out, that our, our culture in, in the Western world at least, but I think pretty much pervasive, is to turn sex into a commodity. That outside of the marriage bed and without that whole life shared commitment... Sex ends up being a trade between people who aren't fully united. They might be good people, they might love one another, but it isn't actually what the Bible paints for us as the fullness of unity. The Bible teaches us that though flesh may come together, it isn't outside of marriage the one flesh union that's described in Genesis chapter 3. We live in a world that practices the separation of sex from its creation, from its place, from its meaning, and from its purpose. And maybe that's the way that we've lived also. Yet we see that the Bible is clear, and the Bible paints a grand and a glorious vision about these things. When we kind of accept that biblical teaching, and I'm not going to rehash it all today. Um, You'll have to go back and have a listen, and better yet, go into the scriptures and discuss it in your transformed communities. There's a daring request, isn't it? Go into your transformed community this week and talk about sex. Um, Anybody up for that? You're like, no, we don't do that in our transformed community, Greg. I don't know what yours is like, but you probably need to fix it. Um, Is that anyone thinking like that right now? Um, You you should chat about these things, you know, let the kids go in the other room, you know, and um, and, and have a chat about these things. I'm not going to go over all of that. But what we did see, one important thing we saw was that in the beginning, when God united Adam and Eve in this intention of marriage, this lifelong union, um, there they were naked and, and also united as one flesh and unashamed, unashamed, unashamed. There was a a quote that we shared by a guy called Lewis Smeads, and he said, look, there's two situations in which people feel no shame. The first is a state of wholeness. Just that sense of being at peace, made whole, made glad in God and in everything God has intended you to be. 
The first is a state of wholeness, but then he said, the other is a state of illusion. And with regard to sex, this is really, really true. No shame can be only be felt in the state of wholeness which the Bible describes. Everything else is an illusion. It might be an enticing illusion. It might be a brilliantly painted illusion. But it is illusion. And this is God's will for his people. When we talk about sex, when we think about sex, when sex has its place within our marriages, this is God's will, the one flesh union, um, without shame. Matthew chapter 7, and there, right at the beginning of the chapter there, Jesus is is talking about issues of sin and shame. And, And he said this, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Isn't it really interesting and illuminating the way Jesus uses um, the language of a speck and a log or of a beam, depending on kind of the version of the Bible that you've got? Um, It's not like they've got a speck, you've got a speck, we've all got a speck. (laughs) But Jesus really illustrates the fact that to pursue one another's faults and failures is indicative of the fact that there is greater failure in ourselves. And that actually, when that greater failure is within ourselves, not only are we not to be pursuing the failure of one another, but actually we are ill-equipped, so badly so that we can't even see straight. You know, just imagine that image. Just actually, that actual image. You know, you've got a little speck of sawdust or something in your eye, or a bit of dirt in your eye. And then the only person who wants to kind of come along points it out as though you've done something wrong. But when you look at them, you see that actually they've got a bit of two before sticking out of their own eye. Would you want them to help you? Would you seriously, would you want them to help you? Oh, come on, church. You, you've, you've decided Pastor Greg's going to talk about sex. So I'm going to make eye contact once and I'm not going to speak. That's what you've decided this moment, isn't it? You've been like, I'm giving him one lot of eye contact. That's it. If Pastor Greg's going to talk about sex, then he should just expect this. We're allowed to talk. I was just talking about a piece of timber, you know. (laughs) It's all right. But look, if somebody came to you and they had a great big tree trunk stuck in their eye, you'd be like, they're probably not the person to help, would you? This kind of just it works these ways, doesn't it? And so we want to actually come to these issues both with a desire to, to live shame-free according to God's will, but also not to be hypocritical. It's why it's so important to, to think, act, speak Christianly. Not the way people think Christians are going to talk. Going around with a great big oak tree swinging out of their eyeball while they try and fix the world. That's the perception. And maybe that's how we've lived. But God says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother, your sister. I would love a church where um, not only are we resolutely pursuing our own freedom from shame in matters of sexual sin, but also made whole in God's will for these things, we're actually a nurturing, helpful community of faith that can love one another towards wholeness. Doesn't that sound good to anybody here? That kind of community sounds good to me. And Christians, I want to say to you, this is pretty urgent. If you had, uh, you know, a little splinter or some sawdust in your eye, would you say to yourself, say it happened on Wednesday, would you say to yourself, well, I fix things on Sunday, I'll wait till then? Would you do that? You'd be nuts, wouldn't you? 
you'd be absolutely insane. Your eye would be massively inflamed. You might damage your cornea and materially harm your eyesight for the rest of your lives. But this is oftentimes how we behave when we start to think about tricky matters or thorny matters or, or things that we're told we shouldn't really talk about because we ought to be neat, neat and tidy and polite and shut up, Pastor Greg. All too often, we know that Jesus is our healer, yet we're going around with one eye closed because we've got a speck in there and we feel ashamed about it. And we're like, well, I'll deal with it at some point. Or, you know, maybe on a Sunday, I'll deal with it then. Do you know that Jesus is still Jesus on Monday? Do you know that he still loves you on Tuesday? I'm not, I'm not even sure I love myself by Tuesday, but Jesus still loves you and he loves me. He is our hope in all matters of life and death. Here's a wonder that every Christian ought to live by. What we cover up, God will uncover. Oof. <laughs> Ooh. Even if I cover it really well? Yep. <laughs> Even if I cover it for a long time? Yep. Even if I cover it up with doing good things? Yep. Even if I cover it up by knowing lots of Christian words and saying them at any given moment, yep. What we cover up, God will uncover. But here is the wonder of grace. That what we uncover in repentance and faith, believing who God says he is and who we are, what we uncover, God covers. He covers it with his forgiveness. He covers it with his blood. And he washes us clean. This is why Pastor Greg is talking about sex. Because it's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's grace upon grace upon grace. It's freedom and wholeness. As I previously mentioned, our world has got a, a pretty confused idea about sex. Last time out, I told you I've been poring over the details of what's called the NATSAL. It's a national um, study about attitudes and lifestyles, uh, attitudes towards sex and lifestyles. Um, and it, they, they do it every 10 years, and it's a huge survey here within the UK, and it kind of uncovers a whole pile of stuff about how people are thinking about sex and, and what sex seems to be in the UK. And there's a whole lot in those surveys. But overall, what really struck me was that um, though every conceivable aspect of sex is considered... I just realized I made a wonderful pun there when I talked about conceiving things in sex. Um, I just couldn't let that one go. Um, no, I'm trying to break the ice here. Help me out. Um, but though every conceivable aspect of sex is considered there in the survey, numbers of partners, age of sexual activity, types of sexual activity, it's all there. All that's there. It, it, it occurred to me that the way the survey is framed, it doesn't really seem to know what sex is. The survey seems to think that sex is just really a kind of a recreational activity, like, like baking or bike riding. Um, I'm fairly sure it's not. And, uh, you know, occasionally they give kind of a nod to procreation, but it's just so confused, as though it's just kind of a thing that is done. Yet the survey, it notes the natural outcomes of the tragedy of separating sex from its purpose in creation. Here in the UK, uh, one in 10 women, we understand, has been made to have sex against their will. Uh, one in 71 men also. And the average age of that is just 16 for men and 18 for women. This is a horrendous thing within our, our own country, our own culture, our own society here. 
Furthermore, one in five women has experienced at least some form of sexual violence since the age of 16. Unmooring sex from its God-given design has disastrous consequences for precious people. And people are precious. And I don't know, maybe nobody's told you that recently, but you are precious. If I could look at everybody, I would look at you one by one and tell you that you're precious. But some of you are like, I really don't want to look at you right now, Pastor Greg, so don't look at me. Um, But uh, you're precious, incredibly precious. And the way that our world treats people, oftentimes it's the weakest or the more vulnerable. Oftentimes the world elevates men and mistreats women, but not exclusively. But the way in which our world treats people is oftentimes wretched and wrong. It's wretched and wrong, but you are good. It's been a long time since the culture of our world has known what sex is, if it ever has, in fact. Back from the 60s, and I'm not nearly old enough to know about these things, but I'm reliably informed, in what is commonly known as the sexual revolution, it developed, you know, for many pre-existing reasons, but, but really at its root, it's humanity's desire to do whatever it wants to. You know, it's just, don't tell me what to do. I want to be Lord and master of my own situation and universe. Another word for that in the Bible is sin. And because of that, uh, you have this revolution whereby um, sex has largely been seen as a morally neutral thing. Uh, that can be used or enjoyed or experimented with according to to one's whim. And of course, in this attempt to to live shame-free, not by means of wholeness, but by means of illusion, there have been many verifiable consequences. Statistics and culture and everything over the past number of decades show us these things to be true. We see that divorce rates in the Western world have risen dramatically, causing the harms that that process often causes leaving many scarred by relationship breakdown, uh, and leaving then oftentimes many single parents raising their children alone. Some, of course, do this brilliantly, but many more do not. They struggle, and they live out the harms of those experiences, and they're carried on generation after generation after generation sometimes. Not only this, but the unhitching of sex from procreation acting as though sex is solely a recreational activity has led to spiraling rates of abortion as well. Unwanted children. Are there any two more tragic words in the whole of the English language? I can't, I can't think of any. And so much so that here now in the UK, one in every five children conceived is killed by abortion and disposed of. One in every five. I don't think we know what sex is in this country. I don't think we know what it's for and where it's for and, and how these things ought to be. Add in epidemics of, of sexual disease, straining science and medicine's ability to keep us well when we seem hell-bent on harming ourselves and one another. The so-called sex-positive culture. Have you heard that language? Sex-positive. As long as people consent, anything goes. The so-called sex-positive culture has cost after cost after cost. And though sex is, is traded cheaply, almost as a commodity, it is certainly not free. It is not without cost. And our culture actually seems to be coming to these conclusions all on its own. One sociologist who goes by the most wonderful name 
of Spiegelhalter. Um, you know, if you're ever feeling a little low, I recommend you try just saying Spiegelhalter. It will cheer you up immensely. I, I have said it at least a dozen times this week. Every time I felt a little bit gloomy, Spiegelhalter. And I felt, if you can give it like a, I, I should apologize, Helene, for my cod German accent that I'm giving to this. But, uh, you know, if you can kind of give it a bit of beans, then it'll give it all the more joy. It just sounds fantastic in my strange English ears. But this sociologist, he found actually people are having less sex. And that trend seems to be continuing. He said, in fact, that, and this is kind of funny if you, if you let it be. He said, at this rate of decline, a simple but extremely naive extrapolation, that means kind of plotting the trend at the curve, a simple extrapolation would predict that by 2040, the average person will not be having any sex at all. Um, there is the future. They used to say the future is bright, the future is orange. Remember those adverts? Apparently the future is bright, the future is there'll be no more sex and no more people and we're done. Um, it's all over. Uh, that, that's where the trends are going. People are having less and less sex. He said, I rather suspect this will not be the case, but it still leaves the crucial question, why is there less sex going on? You don't need to answer that right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Of course, the pandemic has probably accelerated these kinds of things, largely just because people didn't see one another all that much. Because, um, you know, social distancing is not wonderful for people wanting to have sex. Um, but more broadly, the truth is actually that younger and younger generations raised in the kind of overflow of a sexually permissive culture are finding actually that Sex positivity is matched at least by sex
Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.